three or four weeks about blood work. And many of us don't get it yet. But by the grace of God, may you get it today. Then when God joins you together, he does the first way he does that. Jesus said you have to be, if you want to be a part of what he's doing, you have to be born again. Said so You have to be born again. Not by water only, but by blood. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting when he says born again. Uh, why are you standing? I'm sorry. <laughs> so what I was going to tell you was it's just so great to have my family. And I was reminded that you need to cherish and love them with all of your heart as long as you can do it. Amen. Will you say amen to that? But God also does something else which I want us to get a hold of today. He expands our family with blood. God uses blood to expand who belongs to us. God actually gives us brothers and sisters by blood, but not by human blood. One of the problems with human blood is even though we are family, we have all had to deal with sin. Look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor, are you dealing with sin in your life? How many of you parents have children who have sinned? If you, if you have children who have sinned, raise your hand. You know, when they're sinning, they usually don't act like your kids. I can't get no help today, amen. Uh, when, when they're living like they want to live and doing what they want to do, you know, you, you don't own them as quickly. So what I want to know is the conversation going on. What are you saying? <laughs> oh, when they be I said saying. when they do the wrong thing, that's when you say that's your child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, you know, when they act crazy, I say, "That's your, ch that's your child, Carolyn." You know, when when they act good, uh, they're mine. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. When we don't understand the workings of blood, we really mess up things. In fact. What is already askew, what's already awry, what's already, what's already marred is usually because of blood, human blood. The Bible says life is in the blood. And all of us, if, if I were to take, if I were to take blood here today, we, we couldn't get that blood unless we pierced you. We have to cause some injury to you in order for you, us to find out what's really in you. Because if we look at your blood and we, and we put it under a microscope, we analyze the blood, all of its parts and its function, you, we can find out exactly what's going on with your life. Some doctors declare, declare that in, if when they look at your blood and they measure its components and what's in it and what's not in it, they can even predict what's going to happen to you in terms of your health. Some even say we can, we can pretty much scope out if this blood remains in the same condition it's in, how long you're going to live. It's an amazing thing. And isn't it interesting that we live in a culture that's emphasizing blood? 
Wow. What's the deal with vampires? Anybody, have anybody figured that out yet? On the dark side and the perverted side, what's this deal? What is this thing about the, I don't understand it. Will you explain to me why zombies are so popular? The Walking Dead, have y'all, anybody know about that? Come on, raise your hand if you've ever seen The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm, I see you out there. It's all about the perversion of blood. It's man's attempt to immortalize human beings in sin. But God has a different thing to say about it. And when we, when we partake of this meal today, may the, Lord, may the Lord Jesus touch you in the place where it matters the most. And so blood is so important until when my wife and I got married and, 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 uh, um, and, and we, we do what married people do. If you're married, raise your hands out there. If you're married, if you're married, wave them just a little bit. Okay. So we, we got married and we were married very young and we were, will, well, we were young, willing, and able that the people say amen. And that ability brought forth th three children. The first one was, the, the oldest child was Tiffany, is Tiffany. And uh, this, the, next old, the next after that was Christopher. And, the, and after him came Matthew. And we, we followed suit like our, our daddies and mamas did. They named us Flynn Arthur, Richard Allen, David James, Rodney Earl, and Stephen Edward. So we followed suit. So when they came, we called her Deborah Denise. So I didn't know her middle name was Denise. Did Deborah Denise. And what am I talking about, Deborah Denise? What am I talking about? That's my big sister. I forgot about her. Yes. She needs some help. Y'all keep praying for her. When she was first. When she was first. Yes. Thank you. You're messing up my illustration, okay. although you are right. She's the smartest one. Yeah, okay, man. So, what's your name, girl? I'm Tiffany Carroll. Tiffany. And Christopher Flynn. Yes. And Matthew Stephen. Matthew Stephen. Amen. So, we followed suit. They all have majestic names. Amen. Famous names. Write them names down. You're going to know them names in history. They're, going, they're making history right now. So we, we became family. And, and, and blood is so, is so incredible until um, what is in the parents gets transferred to the children. But what is in the parents is a combination of everything that was in their forefathers. So yesterday I had my nieces uh, my nieces from my other brothers I was taking them by the hand and I was taking them to each of the brothers and introducing them and, and so they could understand the, the birth order and one of them said to me why does Uncle Rodney look different I said well sometimes what's in the blood of the grandparents gets dominant in the children it's kind of an interesting thing so if my wife showed me a picture showed you a picture of her father, Matthew's skeletal structure, his face is actually the shape of her dad's. It's an amazing thing. And, and, and it all, I, did, I, did, I, did I show you the picture last week? 
Raise your hand if you saw the picture last week. You won't hear. Have, have you got a kin somewhere? Okay, he, he'll, he'll bring it up for you in a minute. It, this is absolutely amazing. The power of blood. Blood carries all the information for the next generation. Blood carries the, uh, the height, the build, the walk. My, my mama would say things to me like, boy, you walk like your daddy. I can't help it. Somebody said to me the other day, Bishop, you got mad swag. I didn't know what swag was. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not faking. I mean, it's just what it is. If it's just what it is, just what it is. You know, <laughs> but she said, son, you walk just like, oh, baby, thank you, baby. You, you walk just like your daddy. You all right? Oh, oh, yeah. That's Siani. Siani, are you in children's church? Okay. Uh, that's Myrtle Johnson. My mom. My mom and my dad. I'll, I'll, I'll show you my dad later when we get to the other part of the series. My mom uh, was an amazing woman. Trained as a concert pianist. Played for her church. Um, had five boys and one girl. And... Uh, raised us after my father died when I was 15 years old my mother raised the rest of us in the most difficult time just amazing so when Siani came uh, you know you know we got you see the different we got light and dark we got chocolate we got caramel we got white chocolate almost What? <laughs> now, what's amazing about this, but there's something in common we have that you can't see because the outward shell may reflect generations before. But I promise you, if you take the blood, then you'll see the similarities. In fact, I'm told that it is the father that determines the blood type. So when Siani came along, we were just amazed and somebody caught her picture and put them together and I, I was, we actually, I, we, we were a little bit shocked because we haven't actually looked at Myrtle, my mom, in many years, but to see them together was like, was like oh my God. In fact, you know, I, I, I love to see the shock of my cousins and brothers when they see this photo together, how God transfers generations. You, you, every single one of you, if you raise your hand, if you know you're born again. Raise your hand if you know you're born again. Look around. Raise your hand and look around if you know that you're born again. If you don't know, may God give you that this morning. Amen. Because you're, you're, the Bible says we are born not just of the, of the flesh, but we're born of the spirit through the blood of Jesus. How powerful is that? It's, it's more powerful than blood. In fact, Jesus, did you know Jesus had brothers and sisters? One of Jesus' brothers became a bishop of the church, and his name was James. And, and, and God mightily used him. But it wasn't the blood in the veins that was shared. It was the Spirit of God. And 
I want to talk with you for just a moment about how blood works. I, I think I'll have you sit down. Have you got the pictures? Thank you. I think I'll have you take your seats and take some notes because you're going to need this, okay? But you all look absolutely beautiful. Not only are they awesome, they're beautiful. Aren't they beautiful? You're supposed to say yes, amen. They are. You, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, let's work just a little bit. Then, then let's step into that other dimension. I want you to notice that God is so explicit about what he wants us to know and what he wants us to have. Thank you, Lord. So when the Lord, when, when, when the Lord wanted us to understand how powerful this relationship is, he went through the trouble of demonstrating. The Lord wanted to teach something. He would demonstrate it among them, and then he would talk about it. Like when he wanted them, when he wanted to, them to understand the significance of something we don't hardly even talk about anymore, of washing your feet. Washing feet was a common thing in the New Testament, in the culture. When walking the dusty road, you come to the door, there was always a basin and a towel and a chair. So when whoever came in the door, those who were servants of the house, it was customary for you to sit down, remove your sandals, and they would wash your feet. But it was, in, and by the way, it was one of the lowest acts of service. It was an honorable act, but it was one of the lowest acts of service. And this one time, this last come in the house to have this communion with Jesus instead of some other servant being there, Jesus is there. And he's stooping down. And he takes the basin. And he girds himself with the towel and he begins to kneel down and wash his disciples' feet. And, and they were so embarrassed. No, Lord, we know who you, not my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. And they knew at that moment they were going to learn something. And so the Lord, after he finished washing their feet, he said to them, do you see what I've done to you? He was saying to them, he was saying to them without saying, servants do this. He said, but I, I, you call me master, but I'm the one that's washing your feet because this is what, this is the way I want you to act toward each other. You know, they never forgot that. They never forgot that those that lead must be first servants. Jesus would teach by demonstration. He was in a meeting one time with dignitaries. A woman pushes her way into the, into the, into the company of men which was inappropriate unless you're serving them. She pushed her way through those men and interrupted their conversation, came in with her alabaster box, broke it open, 
and began to wash the, the, the feet of Jesus with her ointment and with her hair. And they rebuked her like a prostitute. Jesus said, leave her alone. What she's doing now will be preached forever in the gospel. For she's preparing me for my death. You think they didn't learn a lesson that day? Sure they did. When he wanted the disciples for all time to remember what it means to be related to him and the power that comes by being related to him, this one time, this last time, he brings a table. The table is there. They are reclined around the table. And there's a cup at the table and there is bread at the table. And he begins to make pronouncements over the cup and over the bread. As many times that they've ever done this in their culture, always, it's kind of like, you know, when you get together and, and, the, and the chicken's already on the table. I'm sorry you're not with me right now. Uh, all, you know, when, the, when the, all the food's on the table and everybody comes around and, and everybody's going to eat, right? Well, this time, instead of allowing them to eat and drink, he begins to pronounce over the cup and pronounce over the bread. It was so powerful until they're looking at him trying to understand what are you saying? Let me just give you an ounce of what, they, of what he said. When he spoke over them and he spoke over this table, okay. Say, Kenny, do you have that second document I sent you? Look at me if you do. Yes, no? Okay, coming up. He sat down, they were all reclined around this table, and he, and he, and he looked at that table and, he, and, and that cup and that bread which was at the table, and he began to pronounce over it. He began to say specific words over that table. How are we doing, Ken? We come? In John chapter 6 and verse 53, here's what he said. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Strange words that Jesus would speak to a culture that hated human sacrifice and would, 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 would consider it the most vile thing to drink blood, particularly of a human being, and eat flesh. But cannibalism was a huge curse in regarding Israel. But Jesus says these words in Matthew 26, verses 26 and 29, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is very interesting. He takes this bread, usually it was flat bread. We would think like uh, 
Uh, anybody know what pita bread is? If you ever had pita, it's more like pita bread. He take, he tore, he would tear it, he would break it up, and he said, "This," he said, "This is my body." You got eyes and ears and senses, and you're looking at it, and you say, "My yes, this is my body." Jesus said, "I want you to take it, and I want you to eat it." And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, drink from it, all of you, for this, talking about this cup and what's in this cup, this is my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now Jesus has not died yet, he's not been crucified yet, but Right then, at that moment, he speaks over the cup and he speaks over the bread and he takes what's commonly used and he transforms it into something spiritual and something of life. My body, he said, I want you to eat it. My blood, he said, I want you to drink it. My Lord. Now they're sitting there and they understood the words covenant they knew what that was. They understood what that was. When you would say covenant to a, a, a Hebrew, his whole history would unfold before him when you use the word covenant because they understood they would not even be a people had they not been in the covenant agreement of God. They would not have any identity outside of the covenant God gave them. In fact, in fact, they understood that when you say covenant, immediately they would think about their great, 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 great grandfather, Abraham, which made them in the eyes of God, God's people. When he said, this is the new covenant, I wonder what went through their minds. Something completely different. And, and, and Jesus is actually giving us a four lesson even before he's crucified, he's teaching us something if you can hear it. And if you can bear with me another 10 minutes, I want to give you something that will absolutely transform you. Jesus understands that he's about to be crucified or that is killed in the most horrible way. I know you've heard a lot about crucifixion. But if you can think of it this way, how do, we keep, how do we keep a man alive as long as we possibly can and allow him to suffer as hard as he can without dying? That's the question they came up with with crucifixion. How can we, how can we humiliate him? How can we make an example of him so that what we do to him will never be forgotten. And anybody who does what he does won't do it because they realize what awful death they would have to die. So the Lord Jesus, in his crucifixion, he knows what's about to happen to him, but before he is crucified, he makes the application before time. My body and my blood I want you to take it and eat it because it is life to you. 
It's life for you. Today, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want you to, I want you to get this picture in your mind. It's really quite simple. It's a, it's, it's, if I could get you to go back for just a little bit, to go back to Israel in Egypt, and they are slaves. And they've been slaves for 400 years. But while they are slaves and ill-treated, God sends a word, and he, he sends a word and a person of deliverance. Moses shows up to get them out of that. We're talking about a whole culture and race of people for 400 years in slavery. He's about to deliver them. But in order for them to be, to be delivered, he gives them some very specific instructions. He said, I want every father, I want every head of household to find you a lamb. They were singing, we were singing about, behold the lamb today. I want you to find the lamb for each house. I want you to take an innocent lamb that's not deformed, but I want you to take it and, and, and you know, I don't know if you've ever been around lambs, but they are really, really cuddly. They're, they're really fun, innocent. And I want you to cut his throat. And I want you to let the blood of this lamb pour out into a basin. Collect the blood in a basin. When that blood is in the basin, I want you to take a branch called a hyssop. Take it, and I want you to pick that branch. It actually looks like the, the, br the bristles of a brush. I want you to take that, dip it in the blood, and I want you to put that blood on the doorpost of your house and on the lintel and on the outside. So he said, I'm about to bring judgment on the whole nation of Israel. And by the way, I want to say this to you. Not only did judgment come to Israel, judgment also came to the people of God. God said to them, and you'll find it in Exodus, the death angel will pass over all the land. It will visit every house. I will judge the sin of every man, of every house. I want to tell you this. Israel was just as sinful as Egypt. The sins that Egypt did, same sins that Israel did. Some of them actually were participating and worshiping the gods of Egypt. Look at your neighbor and say, nobody is without guilt. And so the Lord said, but here's what I'm going to do. My grace is only going to become, it's only going to come to two to people who do two things. They must believe me and they must obey me. Tell your neighbor, say, we must believe him and we must obey him. Because there's no difference, the only difference between the only difference between Israel and Egypt is what side of the, of the dividing mark you live on. In Egypt and Israel in the valley, Egypt the rest around, around them on the other side. There's no difference about their flesh. There's no difference of blood flowing through their veins. For all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is an equality in terms of guilt.
And God made the most incredible demonstration when he said, I am, yes, I'm going to visit. I'm going to visit the whole land. I'm sending the death angel and I'm going to, I'm coming to every house. I won't leave one, I won't leave one that's not visited. And when I visit every house, judgment will be upon that house. There's only one thing that will save that house. And that's blood. If there's no blood on the door, the blood that I said, you can't get a goat, you can't get a dog or a frog, it's got to be a lamb. Are you all there? So you can imagine, they, they run out, they find lambs, and, and, and then he said, if your household's too small, he said, then go in somebody else's household and be a part of their household and let that blood of that lamb cover that household. So when you said to, when you would say covenant to Israel, their mind would go back to that, that time. And by the way, even though they weren't alive in Jesus' day when it first happened, every generation would tell this story every single year at Passover. When they went through Passover, like we go through Christmas, when we go through Passover, they would in detail map out the story. So generation to generation to generation was the same story. There was no, look, this always separates left side, right side, right side from left side. And, but, but the people sitting in the pews still got human blood running in their veins. And God said, I'm going to come and I'm going to judge. And when I judge, my judgment will be swift. It will be sure. And, and it, will have, it will not be a prejudice at all. They should understand that because when they took this lamb and put it on this, this blood on their door and on their lintel, when they did that, the death angel with all his fury and with all his might would come to the door ready to, did you all see that commercial when the woman opened the door and the death figures at the door? Some dumb refrigerated commercial, y'all see that? Okay, y'all understand what I'm saying. Death would visit every door and when, when death would come to the door, by the way, death is a spirit. Death would come to the door and ready to strike, but on the door, there would be blood. And the, can I put it this way? The fear of God would come on death. I want to be clear about this. Death represented not only the absence of life and separation from God, death represented the curse that came with having human blood in your veins. Because blood in your veins, the blood in your veins, qualifies you for death having been born of our father Adam you do not become a sinner you are one children don't become sinful they are sinful when they come little beautiful wonderful sinner it, it just comes out a little later some children comes out quicker. They just defy. Hey, no. Hey, I had a defier in my house. Hey, no. I won't tell you which one it was. <laughs> sin is in the blood. Look at you and say, sin is in the blood. 
So the Lord said, I want you to dip the hyssop in the basin, put it on the door, lintel, on the doorpost and the lintel. And when the angel comes, he'll stop and check it out. He will pass over that house. When, when death comes, he's seeking human blood that's not covered by the blood of the lamb. You can, the Bible says you can hear the weeping and the wailing of Egypt for miles. You can hear them mothers crying out for the dead bodies that were lying in Egypt, even up to Pharaoh's household. He said the firstborn of every family will immediately die if there is no blood on the doorpost. The firstborn was the whole future of the family. In other words, God would curse the rest of the lineage because there was no blood on the door. So Israel, being obedient, said, it's not that they had never sinned, it's that they decided to obey. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not that they never sinned. It's just that they decided to obey. Are y'all breathing here, saints? And, and it, it, no, not much has changed. Not much has changed. Beloved, when that angel came to that house to approach those doors, every door of Egypt and every door of Israel, in order for, the, in order for that angel to pass over the house, in order for them to experience pass over, they had to apply blood. Why is it important? Because Jesus is about to enact the very thing that Israel experienced. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, is sitting there telling them, drink this. This is my blood. Eat this. This is my by the way, the lamb that they, that they took blood and put on the doorpost, he said, I want you to roast that lamb and eat that lamb. So blood will keep you from death and the body will put, put strength in you to make the journey that I want you to make. I, 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 don't, I don't even want you, this is it's amazing. He said, I don't even want, don't even season it. Oh, Lord. Don't put them good garlic and don't, don't, no garlic. I'm going to let you go eat in a minute. We had a more important meal to eat from. Beloved, then Jesus said, this is my, this is my body broken for you, this bread, and this is my, the cup of, of a new covenant. And he said to them, I want you to eat it and drink it. And they are, the disciples, they're reenacting now for the kingdom of God, something new that Jesus was bringing. But it was, an, it was new, but it was an old application. Jesus now is becoming the very type. He now is about to demonstrate what was done so many hundreds of years before. How about you? How do you apply the blood to your life? 
Is it possible that what you've been experiencing is because you don't apply the blood? You don't even know how to do it. You've not understood what Jesus Miller said and what he gave us. And some of us have not been able to, some of you have not, you've not been in good health. Not only because you've mistreated your body, but because you have not applied the blood. In fact, many of you mistreat your body because the blood hasn't dealt with your appetites. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Many of you have experienced loss. Many of you go from losing one thing to the next. Many of you are not well. And not because there is a provision for you, it be, it's probably because you've not participated in the one thing that has the power to reverse everything in your life. So what Jesus was doing when, when he met with his disciples, he said, I want you to take this, take this cup. Take this bread, which is my body. broken for you. Take it and eat it. Take the cup, every one of you, every, each one of you, every one of you, drink from it. Here's a problem. One of the persons sitting at the table drank from the cup, but he did not believe. One person drank from the cup, but, but, but did not change his attitude. It's one of the most tragic stories in the New Testament. It's not enough just to say, I believe. The Bible declares that the demons believe and they tremble. They know what's coming. They know the judgment of God. Two weeks ago, I told you when, when, when he was on the cross, before he went to the cross, he asked the father. He said, Father, is there any way you can make this cup pass from me? Have you considered the cup of wrath of God? God's righteous judgment on every sin committed by his creation, every accusation, every lie, every murder, every thievery, every adultery, every sex trafficking, every deception. And what that sin incurred, the judgment of God was filling up the cup of heaven. You want to read more about this? Go to Revelation and talk about when he pours out his wrath on the earth. Our God, our God, our God is not only loving, he's a God of judgment. Yes. Of righteous judgment. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to do this. And then he said, but not my will, yours be done. So he takes it, he, he receives and he, in his own death, drinks all of the, the sin, check this out, the sin that was ever committed from, from all the way back to Adam. 
all the generations, murders, catastrophes, genocide, on and on. Not only did he drink the cup that encompassed all the sin that ever was, he drank for all the sin that will come until he comes. Your sin was in the cup. But how can you, how can you avert the judgment? The new covenant not only averts the judgment, but gives you everything that Jesus has. The cup of the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant not only keeps the wrath of God away from you and the curse away from your household, your life and your family, but it opens you up to everything God wanted Jesus to have. Instead of cursing you, the Bible calls it, he blesses you. The problem, the body of Christ has been living somewhere between that curse and that blessing. Part of it is ignorance, the other part of it is rebellion. When you, when you don't know a thing, you can't receive a thing. If you know a thing and don't do it, that's, if you know what to do, you don't know to do, that's rebellion. Ignorance, I don't know. Stupidity is I know, but I ain't gonna do. So I'm in this, I'm in this uh, celebration yesterday and I'm looking at the lives of people that I've pastored over the years and I can see some of them got it and they went on and others of them are still in the same place. This day, this month of May, May, June, what's this? June, I got it, yeah, I saw it passing. June, on this month of June. This month of June, I want you in a moment to pass in your life, I want you to pass from death to life. So I want, I want you to receive, and when you receive this cup and this bread, I want you to hold it, don't open it yet, I have some instructions for you. It's kind of interesting how the Lord dealt with, how he dealt with his disciples. He needed them to succeed because they carried what he left. He needed them to succeed. He needed them to not fail. In all of America right now, the church of Jesus Christ is going through the biggest crises we've ever gone through in history and we don't even know it. At this point in history, God is asking us, God is commanding us to be what the church has never been. The very opposite of what the world partakes of in its life, in its manner. To be the, to be the blessing and not the curse. See, they could have decided, okay, I... I want to get out of here. I want to get out of Egypt, but I don't like lamb. I, 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 I want to, you know, I, I, want to, I, want to, I don't want to be a slave anymore, but I'm not into this blood stuff. But God, in his infinite wisdom, 
would you forgive me if it offends you? I hope it doesn't. Has only chosen one way. While there might be many awakenings to the presence of God, there's only one way to follow God. And that's why he wrote it down. You can continue. That was good. <laughs> so, you, what you hold here is the cup. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. Pastor Tiffany said this morning, it's a wonderful thing to, to bring up good memories. Jesus said, when you take this cup and when you eat this bread, remember me. He said, even after I'm gone, every time you do this, remember me. Can I, can I, can I help you understand that? Remember what I sacrificed. See, he hadn't done it yet. He was about to do it. He was about to go to the cross. Remember how they treated me. The Lord of glory. Here is God the Father allowing his creation to take the Son of God into their own hands to do whatever they wanted. And they did. But what they didn't know, the Bible says that the demons would have known if they would have known what God was going to do, they never would have crucified Jesus. <laughs> if they knew the power that was going to be released, they never would have done this. If they knew how many generations were going to be free, they never would have carried out that plan. If they would have known how many sicknesses were going to be healed? They never would have done it. They would have done something different. But the Lord, he kept his secret. Now, when I was in the, when I was in the army, I said, about, hey, okay, that's what I do. It's not quite about, but it works. Had they known had they known, the last thing in the world they had ever done was crucify Jesus. Because it looked like such a it looked like such a it looked like such a win. Because for them might was right. So it, it looked like if we wipe this man out, we will we will cut off this life from the earth, this way from the earth. What they didn't understand that God had a bigger plan. Look at your name said God had a bigger, he had a bigger plan. I want to say this to you. No matter what ways the enemy has tried to trick you, lie, steal from you, keep you from what God wants, God has a much better way. Okay, first, the blood. It's the blood of Jesus that was not contaminated with sin. For that that which was found in Mary's womb was precious and the Bible says the angel declared holy the son of God that takes away the sins of the world so the blood is what's so precious so can I put it this way 
all it takes to turn your life around. Sickness, reoccurring catastrophes, one negative thing after another, ill health, everything I'm telling you comes with obedience, but only takes one thing to turn it around. Failures again and again and again. Breaking down under pressure so you can't stay in there and do what needs to be done so God can take you to the next level. Habitual repeated sin where you feel like I'm, 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 I got a chokehold on me and I can't live without this thing. And the very thing you feel like you can't live without is tearing you apart. Addictions. Did you know right now in America we are experiencing right now an opioid catastrophe? There's another word they use, epidemic. An epidemic of people being strung out on drugs. Prescription drugs. Look, it started when they was going by in that concert. What was it called? Robert, oh, you know about Robert Tesla? Is that what you were hearing? No, Robert Tesla. Oh. And, and after one shot, it's like again and again, it's like can't get enough. I want to say this to everyone here today. If you have been there, you might still be there today in the name of Jesus. Simply an issue of two things, believing and obeying. Simple things, believing and obeying. We're going to drink in a moment, and then the Lord is going to set you free. Thank you, Lord. So to the disciples, he said, look, take, I want you to take it. And what you do is you, there's like a little part you peel off the top. Have you, have you figured that out yet? You peel that part off the top. And then there's, there's, a, there's a piece of bread there, actually. It's a wafer. Like this. So I want you to get this picture in your mind. When you, when you, when you put the blood on the doorpost, and I want you to eat the body because you're going to need the strength for the journey. Look at your neighbor and say, you need the strength for this journey. By the way, in case you don't understand it, every year they would practice the Passover. And that you, you, you drink the blood so you avert all the curses and the blessing is yours. Not because you earned it, not, not because you did something, something so wonderful that God would just put great mercy. No, no, your life and my life has been the exact opposite. But this is the provision that God has made for you. And if you peel that next one off, then it leaves a cup. But I want you, what I want you to do right now is I want you to take the bread. Raise it, raise it as a sign that this is from the Lord. I know God didn't bake this, but he gave us the understanding. In the name of Jesus, Father, this bread is now your body, which was, which suffered for us, which was broken for us, bruised for us, beat for us. 
this bread is the full payment for our sins. And we take this and we eat it in the name of Jesus. You may eat it. And this cup is your blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. It means what you don't deserve, you get. It means what you should have been punished for. Punishment has already gone down for you. It means if you sin, we have an advocate in the, in the heavens, Christ Jesus, who makes intercession for us. That's why we keep receiving blood and bread. And, and, and every time you drink it, the Bible says, remember me. And Paul said, when you eat this, when you come together and you eat and you drink this, don't think this is license for you to keep living the way you were living. But it is power to overcome. Lord, have mercy. I think I want you to drink standing up. Because in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, they had to put their traveling clothes on, gird themselves, and they stood up and they ate and they drank because when he said, you're free, get out, they left those houses. You know, I want you to decide today, I'm leaving a lifestyle that brings me under subjection. I'm leaving, I'm leaving a habit that's got me by the throat, huh, Lord Jesus, or by other parts of the body. I'm leaving that habit. I'm leaving the lie of the enemy. I'm no longer going to live in a way that pleases Satan and that destroys myself. In the name and through the power of Jesus Christ, drink. Now I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lift those hands to the Lord Jesus. Some of you, there's some confession you need to declare. Some of, some of you, there's some things that you need the Lord. The Lord is waiting for you to acknowledge the truth. And that's what sets you free. That there's some ways in my life that I'm done with. Some of you need to say, there's some people in my life that I, I, I need to, I, I am done with this relationship because it leads me against my master. In the name of Jesus. Come on, lift those hands to the Lord. And I, I want you right there to give that confession. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I hear that. Lord. Okay, put your hands down. Those of you that are, those of you who are saying, I'm leaving a life of going my own way. I am going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm leaving a life of going my own way. I'm going to follow 
Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm leaving that life, but I'm going to follow the Lord. I want you to come with boldness. I want you to come and stand with me. I'm here for you, with you. I want you to come and stand with me. Those of you who say, I'm leaving, I'm leaving this life. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid nor ashamed. In fact, some of you need to do it because it is your way out. It is what God has required. Bless you, sisters. I'm leaving this way of life. I'm no longer going to follow my own way. I'm leaving it behind because he died for me and for you. His love, his love allows him to suffer for you. There's some things I'm putting behind me. Listen to me. This is about God's blessing for you and future for you. I applaud your courage, every single one of you. God has something incredible waiting for you. Absolutely. See, this table today is a demonstration of his great love for you. He's greater than guilt. He's greater than sadness. He's greater than death. He's more powerful even than your personal habits. But in order for you to receive that, you must surrender. That's the way we pronounce it. You must surrender or say, okay, Lord, I'll follow. It's a wonderful thing. It's a, a most, one, of my, one of the greatest gifts is to be able to say, I was going this way and I know, I know, I know this was destroying me. I know it was, but I, I hear this simple message of blood. And I believe. And today I turn, Lord, and I go the other direction. It's just that simple. I've got somebody standing behind you, those of you that responded to this message today. I, I'm going to tell you something. The Lord was talking to me earlier and he said, I'm going to show you something in this meal today. And I want the rest of the church to lift their hands towards these that are in this altar. And we're going to pray for every single one of you. And because you were willing to say, Lord, I'll take your blood, I'll take your body, then he promises you that I'll change. I'll change you. I'll touch your life. I'll bring change to your life. All you have to do is Agree. Believe and obey. Now, church, lift your voice and begin to praise and praise and, and pray to God right now. And I want those that are standing behind them to come in front of them. And I want you to pray for them and just begin to lead them in prayer.